0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I'm being told that today is the official start of the rest of the NBA season and that now, with the holidays officially behind us, yesterday was still a national holiday out here, we can get back to normal. I don't know what the hell that is, but get back to it as he bangs the table by accident hope you guys heard that because i'm not editing it out of the podcast good day everyone welcome to fantasy nba today a sports ethos presentation i am dan Bespers, and this is tuesday january the third i think and we're now as of really today we sort of hit the dog days of the NBA season. We had a little bit of that in like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's a little dog daying that goes on. But now we hit the real part. This stretch between now and the trade deadline is when everything in the NBA comes motivationally be- uh, inspired. Meaning, if you're a better, if you're betting on sports, this is where you look for all those angles of kind of which team is awake and which team has no reason to wake up. You're going to see teams that are not as good start to peel in the wrong direction. You're going to see trade rumors start popping up with any team that's underachieving. And right now, I would say the big names on that board, don't don't talk about the Lakers, because the Lakers have had trade rumors for every moment, basically since they recovered from their championship uh, injury hangover, which, by the way, I do have I have a, a non-fantasy argument as to why the NBA has been so high scoring this year. And it's related to teams having their first full offseason in three years. But whatever. Um, forget the Lakers for a minute. Because they're you know they're going to be fighting. They're not a team that's going to ever pull in the wrong direction. Teams like the Wolves, severe underachievers. What are they going to do? But even more so, out east... Because we know the Thunder, the Spurs, the Rockets, eventually they... The Thunder have actually not been all that terrible this year. They've been fine. But eventually they are going to lean into the draft pick thing. Because if you have like a, yes, bottom three, you guys each get 14-whatever percent chance of getting Wembenyama. But, you know, the next one to the bottom still has like an 11% chance. And everybody has, in that bottom five, six teams, they all have a, a reasonable chance to end up with the first pick and a team that wants to be involved in that, eventually they're going to go get it. They're going to go get those, those lotto balls. So you'll see the Thunder. They'll go into a, a partial tank, whatever it takes to get there. The issue, of course, is for these tanking teams, Pistons, Hornets, Rockets, those teams each only have 10 wins so far this year. When does the pivot happen? For the Pistons, it's already happened. They shut Cade down for the year, he had surgery, they're already in tank mode. So whatever you're getting out of that team it's not going to change very much the rest of the way, because they just sort of, they don't really have any worse they can get. The Rockets, the only thing you could look at there is a possible trade of Eric Gordon, which would be interesting for the likes of KJ Martin, unless he's also traded, in which it becomes interesting for the likes of Tari Eason. In the Eastern Conference, I believe the story is more interesting. Because the Hornets weren't supposed to be a strict tank team coming into this year. But with the Miles Bridges uh, situation, get warm in here, uh, and Gordon Hayward just being terrible, and then Lamella Ball missing like the first month and a half with various ankle-related injuries, and Terry Rozier kind of being bad this year, at some point they're going to have to just embrace it. What does that mean for them? Well, does it mean Mark Williams gets playing time? Does it mean shutdowns? Who are the other guys that they would even consider trying to shoehorn into the line of Dennis Smith Jr.? Is he in the mix? A lot of question marks around the Hornets. But again, like, what do you need? Everyone's like, oh, they're going to shut everybody down. Teams 10 and 28 right now, while they've been trying. I don't think the Magic are a strict tanking team. They got off to an awful start this year, but they've actually been better over the last month or so, and if they continue to trend in that direction, and if they get Suggs back, or Jonathan Isaac happens to show his face, Wendell Carter Jr. just came back, I think they'll be decent enough where they won't race to the bottom, and they'll just lose what they lose. And frankly, there aren't that many guys that the Magic can really shut down anyway. So I'm not super worried about that. The teams that I'm looking at are the Raptors and the Bulls. And I guess the Hawks, but I don't think they're going to go into a tank. And the Wizards, they've won five games in a row, so it's sort of not the right time to talk about them tanking. It was five games ago when they were 12-21, and 21, but now all of a sudden they're in the play-in tournament. And you could make that argument for the Bulls and Raptors as well, but just the writing's on the wall a little bit with those rosters. In a way that with the Wizards, it's like, well, we just sort of got this. We're just trying some new stuff right now. Let's see what happens. There's still some hope. There's some tinkering that the Bulls and Raptors don't really have the advantage of doing. Now, if you're Toronto, you can make the argument, oh, we've never, we have never healthy. Yeah, but they're never healthy. That's, that's the point. Nick Nurse runs those guys into the ground, so they're just never going to be healthy, even if today they have one of their better, or yesterday, I guess it was, they had most of their guys in. I mean, they still didn't look very good. I thought those are the really interesting ones. What if the Raptors or the Bulls, what if they pull the plug and shake things up by the trade deadline? Well, we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks because this is the dog day run. And that is how we roll into today's episode, which we got a lot of games to cover from yesterday. So let's dive on in. It was a very busy Monday. I didn't have enough. I didn't have the time for a six minute rant on the dog days at the beginning, but damn it, we had one. So, whatever, we're in it now. Follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Dan Vesperis, D A N B E S B R I S. A little bit of news first thing this morning that is, well, you know, we can cover it as we go through the ball games because a lot of it is tied into things that happened in the games yesterday, like injury to Zion, injury to Marvin Bagley, Kelly Oubre, who has been out, but now we have a little bit more clarity on it. So we'll talk about those as we get to the games where those players are involved, and uh, let's begin. We had the early game going while we were podcasting yesterday, which, you know, meh. New, uh, Knicks beat the Suns 102-83. Tom Thibodeau, I'm sure, stoked that his team is playing good defense this year. The Suns are in a little bit of a free fall right now. Phoenix 20-18. and 18. They didn't lose their 18th game until basically the end of last season. And they've lost 18 now as the year turns. They're the 8th seed. Suns are in the play-in. tell you, man, you make bets just on vibes at the beginning of the year. Oftentimes, it works out relatively well. Kings, good vibes. Took the over. It's working. Blazers, good vibes. Took the over. It's working. Suns, bad vibes. Took the under. The only one where it's not working was the Celtics, who had kind of weird vibes coming into the year, but they've continued to be very good. They have to be very good all year because their season win total was super high. But in any event, um, Suns are badly missing a lot of guys, but at the same time, they're just kind of missing, like, the old Chris Paul. Because right now they have an old Chris Paul, who I still love. I just, you know, he's not... He's not going to run the ship anymore. That's just not what his his job was supposed to be this year for the Suns. And uh, right now, he, he's sort of being asked to do too much because a great point guard needs guys to be able to pass it to. And right now, he has DeAndre Ayton. Lander Shamit made his comeback for the Suns. It was not pretty. Six points, five boards, two assists, couple of three balls. That said, I actually do think Shamit deserves... An injury replacement spot on your roster, which I know is a hard sell to make after a guy has a terrible ballgame, but we need to be worried about process and not results with some of this stuff. They're not going to play a really good defense every ballgame. Shamit was coming back from an injury. This was an early start time after New Year's. All this stuff just reeked of someone's not going to be ready to play in this ballgame, and it was the Suns. I think Shamit's going to be pretty good as long as Cam Johnson and Devin Booker are out. We've heard Cam is running in straight lines, but we don't know what that means really for his recovery. He's way past the expected recovery time, and it didn't seem that close. Anyway, I'm not uh, not moving off of the Shamit thing. I think he'll be fine. Over on the Knicks side, Emmanuel, quickly, he stayed in the starting five despite R.J. Barrett being out. Uh, Miles McBride had started for Barrett when Brunson was also out, and the worry was... Uh, Would Brunson returning punt quickly to the bench? And it didn't. So you can keep rolling with quickly for now. Uh, You know, with Tibbs, he's going to roll his starters for ridiculous numbers of minutes. So that works out relatively well. And then I don't know that we even need to talk about Quentin Grimes anymore because he's just sort of quietly a 12-teamer at this point. Philly beat New Orleans. Uh, The Pels, I don't want to say they've fallen on hard times, but because it's mostly injury related there without Larry Nance. Their center that provides them that late-game defense, that's hurt them. Herb Jones just came back from COVID. Trey Murphy has kind of hit a little bit of a wall, which we all kind of figured he would. I say we all, but I also don't think it's we all, because I got yelled at a lot on Twitter for saying that I didn't think Trey Murphy was a rest-of-season guy if the Pels ever got healthy. He's barely a rest-of-season guy right now, and the Pels are not healthy at all. Still, Zion got hurt. Tweaked a hammy in this one, and he's going to miss a couple of weeks, especially with the way he plays and, and his size. this The healing is going to be, I don't want to say slow, because he's still super young, but they have to be so, so careful with him. You know, it's not like a, a mid-30s point guard who just kind of stands in the backdrop. This is Zion, who's just exploding at every opportunity in ball ballgames. You, you can't do that. I mean, if you risk it on We've talked about soft tissue stuff on this show too many times lately. You just can't risk that getting worse. So, with Zion now down and out, and Ingram still down and out, yeah, obviously you're going to still start Murphy and Herb Jones, because there's just nothing standing in their way. But, as guys come back, I do think that those dudes probably then fall off a little bit. For now, with no Nance, JV is in a good spot. Finally, it's been a rough patch. CJ McCollum's going to have to take 20 shots a ball game, so he should be in line for a pretty good little run here. I think Herb does well. I think Trey does well, and uh, that's about where I leave that one. Over on the Philly side, uh, Joel Embiid, huge ball game. George Niang had a nice one, but we're not going to really worry ourselves with it the big story here is that Tyrese Maxey got up to 27 minutes already he didn't play particularly well and if you guys recall I actually was a little bit down on Maxey coming into this year however I need to preface it with this is enough minutes for you to start him because he got 14 shots up a couple of free throws he's getting in the mix I think he profiles more as a 75 range guy as to as opposed to 50 where I think people were hoping he would get to this year, and I still could be wrong on that front. Um, but, you know, 27, 28 minutes, whatever he sees in a ballgame like this one, eventually he moves back into the starting five as well. He is he'll be inside the top 100 in this number of minutes. So I think you can now officially fire him up uh, if you were keeping him stashed on your bench for you roto folks. Lakers beat the Hornets 121-115. Russ left this ballgame early with foot soreness, and he was awful prior to that. So, honestly, as a Laker fan, I am pleased to know that that was at least some of the reason why Russ looked so bad in this game. He was slow. He didn't have any explosion. His passes were bad. He had three turnovers and shot one for eight before just calling it. And on the other side, Gordon Hayward hurt again. Hamstring soreness. Throw that on top of the fact that Kelly Oubre was just ruled was going to have hand surgery and he's going to miss a month to a month and a half, and the Hornets, well, the situation got worse. Now, the immediate pickup with no Hayward and no Oubre has to be Jalen McDaniels. That's the immediate one. Still, we've seen before that Jalen hasn't really been reliably good every game when only one of those guys is out because there was a long stretch where Gordon Hayward was hurt and McDaniels was pretty up and down in those ball games but with both Oubre and Hayward out I just I almost see no way that McDaniels isn't solid for at least a couple of ball games because when the team's been Like, semi-healthy lately, McDaniels hasn't played that much. 19 uh, minutes, 15 minutes, that was when both Hayward and Oubre were in there. Then Oubre went down, and McDaniels' minutes jumped up to 26, 22. He had 28 in the last one. And then with Hayward leaving early, his minutes jumped to 31. The nice thing about that is, once you get to 30 minutes, if you're just out there for 30 minutes, and you have any fantasy game whatsoever you'll be inside the top 100. McDaniels is... He profiles as a 1-1-1 one, one, one kind of guy. He's at 1.2 threes, one steal, half a block in 26 minutes. You could see that block trend up towards like 0.7 if he plays 30 minutes a ballgame. Good foul shooter. Field goal percent is fine. Not spectacular, but just kind of does a little bit of a lot of things. And if you extend that, again, to the 30-minute plateau... The rebounds go up by 15-20%, to 20%, so 5 becomes 6. Assists go from 2 to closer to 3. Points go from 11 to closer to 13 or 14. Little stuff like that. That actually does go a long way. And then, again, the usage will also be better. Not only will the minutes go up, but you take Oubre out of the mix, you take Hayward out of the mix, other guys are going to have to pick up the pieces. So, In the immediate term, add Jalen McDaniels if he's floating around in your league. In the slightly longer term, I actually have a weird sneaking suspicion that Dennis Smith Jr. gets himself involved. He played 18 minutes yesterday. This was his return, though, remember. So, you know, Smith hadn't been in there in uh, God knows how long. When the hell was the last time he played? It was like a month and a half, wasn't it? So now with LaMelo in there and Rozier in there, it's going to be tougher to play Dennis Smith like 28 or 29 minutes because there's just there's too much small on the court. But as we saw earlier this year, DSJ has been amazing at defensive stats. 2.4 of them in 27 minutes per ballgame. He doesn't get to the free throw line, so luckily that's not really an issue. He was at 5.5 assists to only 1.5 turnovers – So it's all about defensive stats, assists, and then really not shooting enough to hurt your percentages. Do I think he overtakes Jalen McDaniels at some point in fantasy value? That's a tough one. That one might be more like a coin flip. But I think there's a very real chance that as he gets revved up, I mean, look at what they did yesterday. First of all, once Hayward went down, he had played 26 minutes before Gordon retired for the evening. And don't even get me started on how bad Gordon Hayward is. How many times have I told you guys on this pod, he's not worth rostering this year? He's not. But anyway, he's hurt again, so sort of a non-issue at this point. He hasn't been worth rostering when he's been healthy, and then the injuries are just sort of the icing on that poop cake. DSJ played 18 minutes off the bench Mark Williams played 15 minutes back up center he and Mason Plumlee are splitting the center minutes by the way on the Mark Williams front I mean I love five points nine rebounds and a block in only 15 minutes but it's kind of impossible to have fantasy value in only 15 minutes and Mason Plumlee was probably the best Hornets player in the ball game yesterday yikes I know uh which is gonna they're not gonna pull the plug on him until much closer to the all-star break if at all So Williams profiles more as a keeper dynasty type, at least for now. I I wouldn't advise sitting on him for a month and a half when it's not a guarantee that he even sees big minutes after that point. There's a hope that he does, but there's no guarantee. And if you're going to stash Williams, you should do it, you know, two weeks from the trade deadline instead of six or seven or wherever the hell we're at right now. But back on the Dennis Smith Jr. front, with Hayward's 26 minutes removed from this ballgame and really no one else that the Hornets trust off the bench... There aren't 26 minutes to give to the other guys. JT Thor played nine. Jalen McDaniels played 31. That's not really going to... I mean, he's going to start now. McDaniels is going to start. So he'll just get, I don't know, want to say six of Hayward's minutes. Could 31 be 37 for McDaniels every ball game? That was would be a tough order. So instead, what you're probably going to see is a lot of you know LaMelo Ball is going to get 36 37 minutes of ball game Terry Rozier is going to probably get 35 to 37 minutes per ball game which leaves 11 and like 13 at the backup guard spots so that's 24 for Dennis Smith Jr where you don't even have to bat an eye at it and then if there's any moment at all that Dennis Smith LaMelo and Rozier all play at the same time I don't know which one plays small forward I guess it's Rozier and they go real small what do you think? Three, four, five minutes per ball game even? Could you squeeze that much out of it? Now you're at 28, 29 minutes a game for DSJ. Again, this is more so a while Hayward, while Ubre are out kind of thing we're breaking down. But if DSJ can get ramped up quick enough, I do think there's a path to value for him. Would I add him today? Eh, I would consider it. Yeah, you know, next ball game, if he plays twenty some odd minutes, he might do enough to get added by a bunch of other teams in your league. This is kind of your opportunity to get in front of it. On the Lakers side, uh, I do love that Troy Brown Jr. is playing more. He makes them better by being long and versatile and actually a decent defender. But he's not an ad. It's Thomas uh, Bryant and LeBron James. Austin Reeves got his mojo back a little bit. Pat Beverly's got a little mojo going these days, but it's not a it's not a sustainable thing. So best to just leave those guys alone. If you want to roll the dice, I'm not going to stop you. You might catch it on a good game, but you might catch it on a bad one. And um, yeah, that doesn't usually work out so great. Indy beat Toronto 122-114. Gary Trent, another big ball game. He's roaring up the boards now inside the top 75 per game on the year, thanks to this recent heater. Freddie Van Fleet came back from back spasms, looked like maybe he was still having them, or maybe just was rusty. But either way, the Raptors played their guys 40 minutes and lost. Anyway, not good these days for Toronto. We're not making any adjustments to the fantasy stuff, but not good these days, other than at least the fact that Gary Trent looks like a competent NBA ball player. Again, that's good. On the indie side. I've been trying to size up what the hell I thought Aaron Neesmith might be, and I think the answer is schedule stream. Leave him there for now. Line of the night belongs to Donovan Mitchell, who scored 71 points. Holy Krapinski. If Evan Mobley has to miss any more time, you can continue to roll Kevin Love out there. I don't know what you do with Donovan Mitchell. I mean, this is just a gigantic, gigantic ballgame that thrust him back into the top 12 after he had fallen out a little bit. Uh, just marvel at it, I guess. Bulls lost tough break for Chicago. They played pretty well in this one, but what are you going to do when a guy scores 71? Sometimes there's just nothing you can do. The usual suspects on the Chicago side. Someone gets moved. That's all you really want to worry about with the Bulls. If Tamar gets moved or Levine gets moved, Patrick Williams becomes an ad immediately, and you probably consider adding Alex Caruso, but eh, you can probably wait a little bit longer on that one. He's on the bench at the moment. Uh, we'll see if he gets promoted back above DeSumu at some point. Nets blew out the Spurs. That's 11 in a row for Brooklyn. This one was decided early. TJ Warren got a little bit of garbage time, but we do need to talk about him because we've been kind of tracking his minutes. He had 18 points two at boor- uh, one board. Two steals, two blocks in this one, did TJ. And he gets more shots when the game's a blowout. That's the thing we need to keep in mind. For Warren, in the competitive ball games. When KD and Kyrie are handling the offense, they don't ask him to score very much, and a lot of his value is tied up in high-efficiency scoring with a little bit of rebounding and typically a little bit of steals. If he's not being asked to do the high-efficiency scoring at a clip that actually impacts your fantasy team, then he's not getting over the hump. I do have him stashed in a keeper league on the chance that, this is is a prove-it. Type of situation for Warren where, you know, maybe he plays himself into a better spot. I mean, this is what is he on? He's like a two and a half million dollar deal with Brooklyn. If he looks good this year, and you can pick him up off the waiver wire and keep him as a waiver wire like cost to your team, and he ends up someplace where he's playing thirty two minutes and and taking a ton of shots, it's a possibility. He's not 30 until September, so it's not like he's in the twilight of his career or anything. He just, this is a year for him to prove that he's still got stuff in the tank and can be a starting caliber small forward that deserves shots. But in terms of this year, I don't know if he gets over the hump. I know that a, a couple of you on Twitter were like, isn't it time to do the TJ Warren thing right now? And honestly, I'd love to say the answer is yes, because you guys know I love TJ Warren. Um, but I don't believe so because, you know, you watch these games, you watch Brooklyn. I would, again, I don't know if we need to take the break on today's show because it's a huge card to recap and I want to get us through it here. Watching the games still matters. Understanding when and how a player gets their fantasy stats is relevant. TJ Warren is getting his fantasy stats in situations where, like, Kyrie goes cold for a quarter, or KD goes—well, it hasn't really happened yet— goes cold for a quarter. Things like that, or blowouts like this one, where they need his offense. But most games, as you—I mean, look at the last few ballgames. A lot of times, they just don't need the offense. We do, if we want him to be a fantasy guy. Meanwhile, over on the Spurs side, honestly, if anybody came out of this ballgame with fantasy value, you chalk it up as a small win, because nobody played more than 25 and a half minutes— Uh, Devin Vassell, quiet. Jeremy Sohan, quiet. And this is the deal with Sohan. We know that it's going to be up and down. That's why I'm not starting him in Roto. I am stashing him. And in head-to-head spots, I'm playing him just to see how this thing shakes out. But we don't really know his fantasy profile yet. Jacoperto was fine enough. We'll take it. Keldon Johnson, third game in a row. He's actually shot the ball well. Is this the turning point? We'll see. But, you know, no, no changes to anything out there. Denver, Overlooked a slumping Minnesota team, and then Kyle Anderson came in and punked him. I joke a little bit. Anthony Edwards had 29 and 10. Jaden McDaniels had 21. He's been solid enough this year. Uh, Jalen Noel got the start for the injured D'Angelo Russell. If Russell misses another ball game, you can roll with Noel. But really, the guy out here that is back in business is slow mo. Or Shlomo, as we have been calling him on the podcast. 19 points, 4 boards, 8 assists, 3 steals, three threes, good percentages. He's a 9-cat monster, or really like an 8-cat monster, because typically he doesn't hit that many 3-pointers. But he is a rare fantasy player that can do a little bit of everything. And with cat out and no official timetable here still, you can see they, the, the Wolves, feel themselves better when slow-mo's a bigger part of what they're doing. So, uh, must-add injury stream, now that he's healthy and playing again. Probably got dropped in a lot of spots, because he was just an injury stream, and he vanished for two weeks with sicknesses and back spasms. But he's back, and I added him in a crap ton of places over the last three days, uh, because he'd been dropped everywhere. Meanwhile, over on the Nuggets side, they just sort of floated through this ballgame. They weren't as engaged as they needed to be. Despite having their starters back, it just it didn't click. Bones off the bench was like the only guy who seemed to be taking this game seriously for stretches because Jokic wasn't really very good. Uh, he had five turnovers. MPJ was fine. He did what he does. Uh, Jamal Murray wasn't particularly good in this ballgame. Aaron Gordon took way too many shots on a night when he was just cold as heck. They'll get it figured out. Don't worry. Denver's fine. They just, you know, glazed over for a night, but... I just think the only fantasy note on the Denver side is that now that the starters are healthy, you can probably move on from Bruce Brown, although it seems like just a matter of time till someone takes a day off. Dallas beat Houston, Comeback. Christian Wood had five more blocks. Where the hell did this come from? Christian Wood is now up to number 66 on the year, thanks to basically an insane blocks run. He's scoring a little bit more, but the biggest difference for Wood lately is that his block streak is absurd. It will run out. He's not going to block two and a half to five shots a game the rest of the year. Because there's like one, two guys in the NBA that do that. And Christian Wood is most likely not one of those guys. That said, he's on a hell of a run. And it gives you a choice, which we've talked about on this show before. I think if you can sell him, You might even be able to get top 50 now. Maybe not. Our polls last week, people were still hesitant to give up anybody inside the top 75. But he's continued to be good for another week. So maybe you can adjust that marker a little bit earlier. I don't know for sure. Uh, Or you ride it out. You see how long it goes and you just, you know, you take the blocks while they're coming and then you take the likely mean reversion when that comes also. But he continues to have a really easy path to value with no Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, No Maxi Kleba. And himself, Christian himself, playing better. They really don't have anywhere else to turn because Dwight Powell, he's your energy guy. He'll get in there for stretches, but he's most likely not going to just take that job away. Um, And Wood in 28, 29 minutes. I don't think I'd expect him to play 36, 37 minutes of ballgame. He's more, this is where they want him. And right now the blocks are going crazy. I... I mean, you have to at least consider Reggie Bullock if you're, if you need a low turnover three and D guy. But he, uh, I mean, you know, Tim Hardaway Junior. is starting against bad defenses. That's been pretty much working every time so far, and uh, he had 21 and five threes against a bad defense. Again, I was wondering if anything on the Houston side would change after their little internal strife, and it didn't really. They played a little better in this ball game. Eric Gordon himself actually played a little better in this ball game, but overall, the Rockets are just terrible. And uh, we need them to move somebody out of the way if we want to get in the mix at all. Portland blew out Detroit. It was the return of Gary Payton on the Portland side. He played 13 and a half minutes. Actually had a pretty good stat line in them. I'm uh, hesitant to pick up Gary Payton. But at the same time, I have in my life been guilty of doubting... I guess here's where I'm at with this one. First of all, Portland blew out Detroit. Nurk left partway with an illness. That's why Drew Eubanks ended up playing 29 minutes. Somehow ended up with seven defensive stats. I guess that's the, the beauty of playing the Pistons. Dame had six defensive stats. If you wanted to know how easy it is to get defensive stats against the bad, bad Pistons teams this year. Uh, but forget the Eubanks-Nurk thing for a second, because we don't have to worry about that until Portland's next ball game, and it was just a flu. So presumably Nurk will be back either for the next one or the one after that. I want to focus more so on two things from this ballgame. Thing number one is that Marvin Bagley is out for an extended stretch. Woj tweeted this morning that uh, he's dealing with some stuff in his hand, and not like we needed more reason to roll with Jalen Duran and his you know 11 to 15 rebounds per game, but there's now really no one that can come for his playing time. But also Gary Payton, the second. He had seven points, two boards, four assists, and a steal in this ball game in only 13 and a half minutes. And they're going to bring him along slowly. So that should buy us a little bit of time to make a decision on this thing. For Portland, well, Justice Winslow's out still. So keep that in the back of your head. But there really isn't a ton of depth at the guard spots for the Blazers. They've got some wings they're willing to use. Uh Shaden Sharp, who I guess is more of like a swing type player. Trendon Watford is more like in that that small forward, power forward range. Eubanks, as we're seeing, backup center. There's a little bit of depth at those spots, but there really isn't. And then Winslow himself, who can play point forward, but is more a small forward than a guard. There's really not much in the way of true guard depth. Damon Simons are both point guard size. Simons is more athletic, I think, than Dame, you could argue at this point, but they're both, you know, gunners that are not huge. Simons a little bit bigger, I think. Um, neither one of them could slide up and play small forward. So whatever Josh Hart is getting is most likely going to be coming as the reserve, not Josh Hart, excuse me, Gary Payton is coming as more of that reserve range Behind the guards. But then also, could he squeeze out some minutes at small forward as well behind someone like a Josh Hart or a Justice Winslow if they opt to play him more exclusively at power forward going forward? These are all the things you have to kind of keep in the back of your head. Is there a way for Portland to get Gary Payton II to 25 or 26 minutes a game? It's hard, honestly. Because Damon Simons are going to play 36 apiece, probably. So maybe then you say, okay, well, could all 24 backup guard minutes go to Gary Payton? I suppose. Staggered it in some respect. If that was the case, then you'd only need to squeeze out like three or four small forward minutes. But someone's going to have to lose out. What it is, I'm not entirely certain. And then on top of that, we don't really know what Gary Payton's fantasy profile is on this team. Because on the Warriors, he had one job, and that was defensive stopper. And prior to the Warriors, I don't think anybody was even paying attention to him. Certainly not from a fantasy standpoint. The best thing we can do with someone like Gary Payton is to look at games with Golden State last year, where enough guys were hurt... That he got to play 27 to 32 minutes per game. There were a handful of them. And the results were kind of mixed. March 25th in Atlanta. 29 and a half minutes. 14 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals. By the way, he doesn't really shoot the 3 ball. So don't expect to get that much out of him. End of December, early January. I think that was when the Warriors had everybody in COVID protocols. He had a 22 point game with almost nothing else 14 and 8 with a steal, 11 and 7 with a steal, 12 and 4 with two steals, 14 and 5 with four steals and a block. And so you're starting to get an idea is this Gary Payton's fantasy profile in starters level minutes? He's probably not going to score more than a dozen points. Your hope is that you get somewhere between somewhere near one and a half steals. That's the way that he could maybe get his value up high enough because the rebounding isn't going to be that high. The assisting is not going to be all that high. Yeah, he had four in this ballgame, but again, look at the competition. Blazers had 29 assists. Dame had 10. Josh Hart had six. Peyton was actually third on the team with four. Is there a way? Yeah, there's a way. But seven points, you're like, oh, seven points, maybe we double that, get him up to 14. Okay, but he went three for four in this one. That's not going to happen every time either. So, if you're asking me, do I think Gary Payton II is going to have top 100 per game fantasy value this year? My guess is no. Am I willing to bet my life on no? I'm not. So, what's the answer then? The answer is, if you have dead weight, throw him on your roster and see how the next two and a half weeks go. If you can't wait that long, don't worry about it. Warriors on a Kavon Looney double overtime tip-in. Beat the Hawks 143-141. And everybody had fantasy numbers in a double overtime game. Nothing like 58 minutes of basketball to get everybody some juice. Clay Thompson, 54. He's been good for two months now, guys. No one's been talking about it. We mentioned it like a month and a half ago. But I had someone to hit me up like, Oh, hey, is this sustainable for Klay? I'm like, dude. This has been happening. Nobody's paying attention to how good clay has been. He's number 78 on the year. Remember how bad he was to start the season? He was real bad to start the year. Well, he's not bad anymore. (laughs) Right? That's where we're at now. Clay got good. He's top 50 over two months, people. And his shooting percentage hasn't even all the way come around. Where's he at over the last month? Top 40 over the last month. Guys, he's back and has been for two months. Dante DiVincenzo was fine. That's the, the injury replacement we're watching. He's the, at some point, Andrew Wiggins is going to show up. I don't know when. Again, hard to make calls on a team when you're dealing with a 58-minute ball game, but, you know, DeJounte Murray played 51 of them. Trey Young, down year, continues, still can't seem to shoot. Bogdan, hold, Collins, he looked better. DeAndre Hunter even had two good games in a row thanks to the Gigantor minutes. And then Anyuka Okongwu, he's been amazing as a Capella fill-in fantasy-wise, but bad news for fans of Okongwu, the Hawks are better when Capella's in. Defense in particular. Rebounding actually, maybe the biggest part of it. Capella probably would have had 25 rebounds in a double overtime game. And Miami beat the Clippers uh, Kawhi Leonard was out with an illness. Paul George tweaked a hammy late in this ballgame. And here we go again for the Los Angeles Clippers of Anaheim. Uh, they're 21-18, and 18, so the sky is not completely falling, but they have lost three games in a row. Injury stuff always befalls this team. You knew that with both of their guys. Every time Paul George plays two weeks in a row, I start to hold my breath because something's coming. He's questionable for the next game, so hopefully it's not a big deal. It seemed like he kind of played through it a little bit. But again, very much a here we go again. Jimmy Butler wasn't even good for the Heat in this one. And uh, on the Heat side, in to, to their credit... Miami's defense has actually gotten a lot better the last two weeks in particular. They're forcing a ton of turnovers these days. Bam's been good. Hero's been good all year. Oladipo's had two good ball games in a row, but you know with Miami, we've talked about it, between Oladipo, Strews, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, there's always some fill-in that plays better than the others, and it makes them almost impossible to trust any of them on a night-to-night basis. But as far as the Clippers go... I think with Paul George being maybe hurt and Kawhi sick, it sounds like he may miss another game or two. This is a bad one going around. Drew Holiday missed a whole week. A different team, but there's a flu nail in these guys. Uh, Norman Powell has to stay on rosters because with those starters potentially down, he's going to get a bunch of extra stuff to do. I wouldn't pick up the other volume guys because they're not efficient enough in 9 cat. Nick Batum back up to 24 minutes here. As I've mentioned before, I do think he's better when they're at full strength. When they're not, uh, that means more Zubats. He played 34 minutes, and every time one of the main guys, Kawhi or PG, is out, that's good for Zoo, and it's not so good for small ball lineups. So that's where we're at with the Clippers, which I know didn't really give you any definitive info on this team, but that's kind of where we sat after last night's ballgame, and we're just going to have to hope that PG's okay. And uh, that we get Kawhi back in the next game or two. But, you know, honestly, like when someone has a cold, it bothers me way less because at least we know they're going to stop coughing someday and then they'll be okay. Hey, I'll give Kawhi a, day, a game or two off every once in a while. And frankly, I'll feel better about him making it through the season anyway. I didn't need you guys with a single promo on today's show. I guess it's promo free Tuesday. Whatever. Take it. Enjoy it. Live the dream. By the way, we did just get word while on air that Brandon Ingram is finally starting to get closer, that he was closer to a full participant at practice, not all the way there for the Pels, but this is the first, I think, bit of good news we've had on BI in, like, a month, so take it, honestly, just whatever we can get. Man, do they need him back, and honestly, more than they need him back, fantasy teams need him back. Oh, the pain! The pain! All right, let's take it over to social from here, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This was Fantasy NBA Today, your Tuesday edition. I'll say Happy New Year again, because why the hell not? I am at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Wow, by the way, my recru- recruiting tweet, by the way, say that 10 times fast. Recruiting tweet. If you don't end up saying recruiting tweet, well, you're even better at broadcasting than I am. My recruiting tweet from over the weekend, I think there were like 30 of you that reached out. Incredible. If anybody else wants to that's listening to the pod, we're looking for good folks. NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, DFS, or full season. Or do you want to cover a team in any of the major sports? Not on the fantasy side. As a reporter, via podcast, hit me up at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S or email roster at sportsethos.com. And with that, I do now finally for real this time say farewell. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Man, it's good to have my voice back. So long.